Well, you, you, that was terrible. You, <laughs> you would. Uh, is it is it as bad as uh, what showers of blessing or whatever that was? Um, Yeah. So can you just do it that last line coming into the transition? What do you mean? You said playing it straight. Or cathedral style. Um, and so I so. wasn't playing cathedral style, I was playing Southern Baptist style. Okay, that's fine. I tell you what, uh, here's an idea for the Northeasterners among us. Um, let's sing this. Just three verses straight through, but tag on the optional choral ending for the third one, and not do the key change to the. Unless that key change doesn't work, I mean it would. I tell you what we can do. We can just sing the last two uh, measures uh, double on the third third time uh, to be a, an ending. That would be better probably than trying to mess Let's with the. Let's try the third verse and see what that what that goes. Okay. Praise ye, tower Christ again. Hallelujah, Amen. Life shall not end the strain. Hallelujah, Amen. On heaven's blissful shore, His goodness will adore, singing forevermore. Hallelujah, Amen. Hallelujah, Amen. I think that's good. You like it? Okay. Jared, did you catch that? Yeah, come Christians join the sing is the three three um, stanzas all the way through, and then at the last on the last one we're tagging the Alleluia, Amen, a second time at the end. Yeah, just that there's those two measures, Alleluia, Amen, uh, at the very end. So yeah, probably probably. If you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles this morning and turn. The Old Testament book of Haggai. Of Haggai. We'll be in Haggai chapter 1, verses 12 through 15 this morning. Now, in case it might be helpful for you, Haggai is the third book from the end of the Old Testament. So if you find Matthew in the New Testament and you kind of go back from there, so you'll pass Malachi and pass Zechariah, there you are. Haggai. So that's helpful. There you go. Now for context, I'll be reading the whole of this chapter this morning. So Haggai chapter 1, verse 1 through 15. So I'll begin there, verse 1. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. In the second year of Darius, 
the king. In the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it, a, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, and behold, it came to little, and when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land, and the hills, and on the grain, and new wine, and oil, and on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. And then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Amen. Well, as you know, Tomorrow is Labor Day. So tomorrow, as we will very likely be doing as well, you might be grilling hamburgers or hot dogs or whatever you like to grill. Or you may be, you know, taking some well-needed rest, you know, and taking some time just to cool off and relax, you know. Or maybe you're going to go and spend time with your family or just stay at home and watch a movie. Well, so it being Labor Day tomorrow, I find this rather fitting here as we continue on deeper into the prophetic book of Haggai, where we see not like this work as we think of Labor Day. We think of, you know, working and the celebration of work. Well, here we find in Haggai work, a work left undone. So the celebration of workers and Work wasn't behind this, but what we have here was a serious neglect, a lack of work, 
is what brought this sober word of God here in these verses. So at this time, the people of Israel, they are no longer dispersed among the nations. They're not in Assyria any longer. They're not in Babylon. They're not in Persia. But they're home. (laughs) Relief to their souls. They are in Jerusalem once again. Yet, they have left a work undone. And not just any work. But they've left the building of the temple of God undone. So after coming home... They did a good thing. (laughs) You know, we see in the book of Ezra, good things happening. All right. You know, they're, they're building the foundations of the temple. Looks pretty good. But then they don't continue. And 16 years pass and nothing. And what happens but the temple is left unbuilt. And what was the reason? You're here last week. You might remember. But it was it was this. We ain't got time for that. <laughs> you know, that was their answer. That was the reason why. It was inconvenient. You know, they didn't have time for this. We don't have time for God. We don't have time for worship. We don't have time for the temple. And so what happened? Judgment came upon the people of Israel. And so though they had their paneled houses, their souls were languishing and dry. And they were left unsatisfied. And so it is then that we have this charge from God in verses 7 through 8. He says there, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And I'll stop right there. We would do well to take heed to that, those three words. Before we go on, it may very well be that you are right there where we were last week. It's all too well that it's, this is just all inconvenient for me. Being here and worshiping God on Sunday. The worship of God is too inconvenient. I'm too busy. I don't have time for these things. I don't have time to get in the word of God at home. Or lead my family in the worship of God. And so we would do well not just to simply have it read to us again. But then again to consider our ways. So consider your ways. It says go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. That I may take pleasure in it. And that I may be glorified says the Lord. And so the looming question following those verses, verses 1 through 11, is what will they do? What will Israel do? Now, at that point, you kind of know what they do. But let's just say you don't know. We would do well to remember why they were in exile in the first place. Now, if you've, if you've worked any length of time, you know you have something that you kind of take along with you and you add to as you go. Well, what is that? Well, I'll tell you in a second. But over time, you know, you you develop a work history. You gain work experience. 
You might get an education, you might go to school, and you add that to this as well. Well, what is this thing? It's, it's your resume, right? You add to that resume all these things you've done, all these experiences you've had, and where you've worked, and, and so on. Well, I'll be honest with you that before I became a believer, sadly, my resume was no good. My job resume. I mean, it was, it was bad, and, and it was long, but it wasn't long in a good way. Yet after I came to faith in Christ, that drastically changed. Things changed in me that I never knew, you know. It, it wasn't just that this work was just some toilsome thing, and uh, yes, there was toil to it for sure, but things had changed in me. I delighted in Christ and I delighted in working. Why? Because now work had a vision behind it. God's glory. His praise. Doing all I do in the name of the Lord. Now work is different. Do everything you do in the name of the Lord. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. But before Christ, I was a no good employee. Got fired a number of times, rude to customer after customer. Well, if you were to see Israel's resume of its dealings with God, it also was no good. And it also was long in a very bad way. Let's just kind of list some of these things. You would have listed on there, we're a bunch of grumblers. <laughs> yeah, we don't like something. We'll tell you, you know, we'll grumble about it and you'll hear it from us. We're a disobedient people. We, you might tell us to do something. Well, guess what? We're not going to do it. <laughs> I'm not okay with doing these things. We're an unruly people. Oh, you think you're the boss, do you? Well, you got another thing coming. <laughs> Rebellious people. Covenant breakers. Oh, yeah, we'll make our promises. Not going to stand behind them. We're not going to do it. Oh, and if you have instruction for us, maybe teach us how to do our job. Well, we don't take instruction very well either. <laughs> we, we may listen to you, but probably not. But we do have something. We have, uh, we're relatively good with our hands. We made a golden calf and we worshipped it. And by the way, we're still pretty good at that. We make a lot of false idols and we worship those too. So what would you do? I mean, hire them on the spot, right? <laughs> you know, I want those people as my, my employees. So it's an appropriate question then. With all that as the resume, what will they do? Will they obey or they, will they not obey? I think we would be inclined if we, didn't, if we hadn't just read these verses. We would say, well, probably not, <laughs> you know. But to this word here, what we wonderfully see, and we praise the Lord as we see it, is we see God's word obeyed. God's word is obeyed. Now, before we look directly at their response here, we see someone else's response first. And whose response comes before their response? 
the prophets. The prophet obeyed. And this is where all this begins. It begins with a faithful messenger. We don't know a lot here about Haggai. And we can surmise all day. And people do that. <laughs> you read a commentary, you'll have quite the surmising going on. But in the end, we really don't know a ton about him. But one, day, one thing we do know is we know the most important thing about Haggai, don't we? And what is that? He faithfully proclaimed the word of God. Amen. Isn't that the one thing you would want people to know about you? <laughs> well, there he is. There she was. That's all I know about her. She faithfully proclaimed the word of God. He faithfully proclaimed the word of God. Now, I'm no prophet. But this, too, is the pastor's calling. I am called by God to set plainly before you the word of the Lord. I am called by God to set plainly before you, whether I like it or you like it or not, the word of God, the scriptures, the Bible. And I guarantee you, initially this word that they received, maybe that was last week for you, you're like, man, if you're saying this is inconvenient, we're all just a bunch of rushed people, I have no time for worship, that was rather inconvenient, I didn't like that. Well, we need that. And this is where the work of God begins. It begins with the word of God. You know, it makes me think of Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer. He was known for all variety of things that he said and some things rather shocking and rather funny too at the same time, some things that he said. But one thing that he said of all of his efforts, he said this, I did nothing. The word did everything. And I often think about that as a preacher, as a minister, as, as an under-shepherd over you. The Word did everything. And so the work of God, if it is to begin, it must begin here. It must begin with God's Word declared, with the Gospel given, with disciples made under Christ and under His Word, and under the Scriptures. Sola Scriptura. The Word of God alone. Scripture alone. And so we see first then, Haggai obeyed. And then second, we see the leaders obeyed. So Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, this man of the lineage of David. And that, that matters, by the way. We're not going to talk about it today, but that matters. Well, he heard the word of God, and he did it. Joshua, not Joshua like in the book of Joshua, you know, led the people of God into the promised land, but Joshua the high priest also, what did he do? He heard the word of God, and he did it. Well, Christ's church will not get far without this. Leaders must take up the word of God and do it. Not merely with our heads. I heard 
of someone, not even a believer this week. He, he had collected some 60,000 books in his collection. Well, you may have that many books at home on the Bible, on theology, on living out the Christian life. But that is not enough. It is not just the head. It is the head. But you must have the heart as well. The head and the heart. Both. And this is part of why Scripture doesn't make light of the qualifications for those who would lead in Christ's church. Whatever the world might be doing, with hiring or whatever they may be looking to in a leader, the church is not functioning on the same plane. We need not be just doing what the world does. We are not the world. The pastoral calling is a high calling. And it is required of pastors that we know the word, that we know sound doctrine, and that we have this faith in us. But there's more also, isn't there? You're like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> what else is there? I mean, I thought those kind of cover some big areas. You're right. Well, 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 5. Well, why do those matter? Why do those qualifications matter? Well, there are many churches hiring not in view of those qualifications today, and they're seeing pastor after pastor fail in their calling. Why? Because... Pastors are to be men of God. They're to be godly men. Not perfect men, but godly men. And what does that mean? It means they have a godly character about them. And godly character is required of us. Why? Well, because certainly I am not perfect. And I'm not Christ. But we are to reflect Christ to you. That's why it's so vital that the men who are leading churches, the pastors and elders of churches, are men of God. Godly men. And deacons also. So in Acts chapter 6 and 1 Timothy 3, we see that they are leaders, but they're leaders in a different way. They aren't leading churches as pastors do, but they are, they're leading in a different way. They're leading in the way of service. And they're, they're leading and saying, all right, body, let's be united together in service to Christ. They are the ones who are leading unity in the body of Christ. And they are to be agents of unity in the body of Christ. That's the function of deacons. And I would even say that's one of the primary functions of deacons is unity in the body of Christ. And so they are to exemplify Christ in serving the body of Christ. And so we see they too are to be men of God. Not perfect men, but godly men. And so Haggai, then he obeyed. And we see here that the, the leaders... They obeyed. And then what? Then the people obeyed. So 
leaders. They must be there bowing their knees. They must be there humbling themselves before God. And they must be regularly repenting before their God. I must be doing that. And any leader in the church must be doing that regularly. And so flowing from that... The leaders obeying their God, loving Christ, treasuring Him, repenting, confessing their sins regularly, seeking their God, praying to their God, flowing from this then. The people obey. Now note here what it says. It says there in verse 12, all the remnant of the people. Now it's one of those things you might miss, but it didn't say that of them before. What did it say? Well, in verse 2, it said, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Well, why does that matter? Why are they now, at this point, called remnant? Because something has been shown. They aren't just circumcised of body, but they're what? They're circumcised of heart. They are those responding as those who know God do. They obey his word. You may say you're a believer in Christ all day long, but if you don't obey his word, you can't rightly say that you have any evidence whatsoever to say you're a Christian. That's why Paul in Romans, he, ha- he says this, this very nice and helpful phrase, obedience of faith. And so here, they're now called remnant because they've obeyed the word of God, testifying they are indeed his people. And so together, each of these, they feared the Lord, their God. They feared God. And so here we see the centrality and the primacy of God. And this, and if you if you wonder about this, if you want to know how God-centered Haggai is, on this short two-chapter prophetic book, just two chapters, L-O-R-D, Lord, Yahweh, it's used 38 times. (laughs) Two chapters. That's amazing. And so we're seeing that God is being heralded from this book again and again and again. And so behind their obedience wasn't a mild view of God that put themselves in the driver's seat. God, he was not being shaped and formed according to their liking. But behind their obedience was the renewing and recapturing of the greatness and the power and the reality of God. And so also, it may be that behind our lack of obedience might well be just that. We have forgotten God and we have forgotten who He is. We have forgotten that He is not to be trifled with. He is a consuming 
fire. Do you, do you picture there, when you think of a consuming fire, a little fire hose? <laughs> you know, my goodness, no. He is infinitely great, infinitely holy. His greatness is beyond compare. And the fear of God, what it does when you really fear God, it humbles you, it awakens you, it kindles an awe, a trembling, a treasuring of God that burns within your soul. We need to ask ourselves, is that how we see God? Do we approach God on Sunday mornings with a a sense of awe and fear and wonder and treasuring of the greatness and be just coming to Him in awe and wonder? Or we're just like, this is all just fine and dandy. It's Isaiah seeing the Lord and saying in Isaiah chapter 6, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. It's God's description of the one to whom he will look in Isaiah 66.2 and he says, But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. I wonder how we approach the Word of God. Do we come trembling before it? Day by day, O Lord, You are great. I come ready to hear from You. May we see that our view of God, it's not incidental to how we respond to the Word of God. It is central, and so it's time to arise and obey the word of the Lord. So we need this word today. We need to consider His kingdom. Perhaps we heard the word from last week, or these opening verses, and, and how the people responded. Well, that's all just too convenient. Well, we need to re- inconvenient. We need to respond to God and His word this morning. Are we prioritizing His kingdom above everything? And we need to see the Word of God. We need to see that this is the Word of God that we have been waiting for here. The Bible is sufficient. It is authoritative. And it is God's Word for us right now. See how central it is here. The prophet, he spoke God's word. And the leaders, what did they respond to? God's word. And they humbled themselves. And the people humbled themselves under God's word. And they repented under God's word. I think we do ourselves such a disservice by mystifying God and his word. We say to ourselves, man, I just hope, I I just hope that I get a word from the Lord today, and we don't mean the Bible. We just mean something else. You know, it makes me think of a, a picture I saw recently. It was a drawing of this man, you know, cartooned, 
man and he was there on his knees, you know, and there are clouds above him. You may have seen this as well. But he's there and he's crying out with his hands up, Lord, speak to me. And then in the next kind of frame there, out of the clouds is his hand descending from the clouds. And what do you think is in it? The Bible. <laughs> it isn't that God hasn't spoken. Nor hasn't, isn't speaking right now. Instead, it is us. We need to take up the word that he has given to us. Our languishing souls, we need to drink it up. And we need to respond to the word of the living God who has spoken. You need a word from the Lord today. Well, here it is. Just open your Bible. When Scripture speaks, God speaks. And so behind this, and the basis of this work is God. And so it is that we have verse 13. Where we see God's presence is needed. God's presence is needed. So verse 13, then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. I just, and hopefully you take it this way too. It's just like, thank you, Lord. No. Here we have, you know, sweet relief. We have like cool air, blue skies, a soothing balm after hearing all that, perhaps even the first few verses from last week, you know, verses 1 to 11. All this just comes like a, a soothing balm to the soul. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is what I need. It's as Megan read a minute ago. It's, it's Moses, you know, before God saying, if you don't Go with us. If you don't go with me, I can't do this. I can't lead these people. I can't live this life. I can't do this without you. And so then here, what does God tell them? He tells them, I am with you. Do you feel it? And this work and every work is utterly dependent on God. It is Him who we need. We do not have a pull up your bootstraps kind of religion. Like you can go through this life with or without God. Just fine. God may be with me or not. I'll I'll make it. That's not the way it works. This is with God or nothing. We cannot do this without God. And so it's time to depend on our great God. It's time to depend on our great God. And so after you've heard all these things, perhaps they're just a great weight, and you said to yourself, well, forget me. I can't do all that. And I think your answer and the right response is, yeah, you're right, you can't. Because no work of God is ultimately the work of our own hands. 
It is us coming with empty hands open. You know what I mean? You know, when in 1 Timothy chapter 2, when it says that the men, men are to lift up their hands with open hands to the Lord, you know why that is? It's just, you're honest, you're open, it's you totally giving yourself up to God. Nothing to hide. Here I am, God. That's why when you're here worshiping in song, that's why you do that too. You know my heart. You know all the struggles I have. You know the sin. You know all that stuff. And here I am. Open hands. Empty hands lifted to God. Just saying, help me, for apart from you I can do nothing. You know, I think of our daughter Elizabeth. You know, at home... We, we try to be honest at home as best we can. And I would say we're rather honest with one another. And so when I'm struggling with something, you know, I don't just put on a bold face. I'll, I'll, I'll say, you know, Daddy's struggling right now. Can you pray for me? And our children do. <laughs> you know, Daddy, I prayed for you. How you doing? Well, the other day, Elizabeth, she was struggling with something and she told me, you know, Daddy, I prayed to God and I asked him for his help. You know, I need God's help. I can't do this on my own. And that's exactly the kind of heart we're to have. That humble, you know, honest, just childlike faith that just says, yeah, I really don't have it all together. I think in our churches we can do that so badly we need to remember it's okay not to be okay we struggle I struggle and what do we say in that what are we doing in that when we admit that we're saying what I need God I need God and so it is, we cry out, God be with us. And this comes as fresh air to us. And so with God lifted high, here throughout these verses we see God's people then are stirred to serve. They're stirred to serve. And so similar to verse 12, we see one after another, we see each person is stirred. We see the leaders and the people were stirred to serve. And so behind their success is God. They were not stirred just to stand still. Like when we think on, on Sunday mornings, we're worshiping, you're like, man, I was moved. We're not moved just to be moved. <laughs> you know, you're not moved just to stay where you are. You're moved to action. This is how God works. God stirs God works and God, he orients his people to action. So you want to know if those emotions are real? Well, those emotions will move to action. Your feet will do something. And this is why Titus, in light of the glorious grace of God in Christ, he says this in Titus 2, where the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. 
and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of our the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Passionate, on fire for doing good works for the glory of God. There's no standing still. Because of why? Because of the grace of God we've experienced in Jesus Christ. Because of the spirit of God that dwells within us. God, he does that in us. He puts that fire in his children, orienting them in Christ to action. And all this is a bit mysterious because even that too is empowered and enabled by God. All of it, you know, you won't be able to just put your finger on like that was when God just like took a hold of me. It's like the whole thing is just God is leading me, you know, and, and all this obedience and the works and everything else. Like I didn't even feel anything at that moment, but it just, I just did it and God was behind the doing of it. It says, Augustine said so well long ago, he said, command what you will, O God, but give what you command. And what does that mean? Well, first, let me just say that is what God is doing here. And this is what God does in us. And what does that mean? He supplies God. He supplies what he demands. And we just say, amen, because that's Jesus, right? Jesus did everything to meet and fulfill God's demands. He obeyed perfectly, completely. He satisfied God's wrath in our place, being our substitute. Paying the penalty for us. That because of Christ, only Him, we are saved by faith through Christ alone. So He supplies what He demands. And the famous Puritan minister and commentator Matthew Henry, he says of this verse, kind of funnily, but he says, The word of God has its success when God, by his grace, stirs up our spirits to comply with it. And without that grace, we should remain stupid and utterly averse to everything that is good. And so it is then that we have verse 15. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. There's your explanation. God. And so it is also that we see it is time to get to the work. It is time to get to the work. We have here the word of God before us. And this Labor Day, it comes to us calling us to take up the word of God and to do it. So here we see this pattern. The word of God given. The people of God awaken. And they receive it. They tremble over it. They are stirred by God and then they get up and they do the work of God. 
And how do they do it? By the power of God. And so we are to be those who hear the word of God this morning and do it. We are to go forward with God with us, even as Jesus said he was and he is, and as he commissioned us, that he is with us even until the end of the age. So you do have God with you. So church, we need be stirred up. We need not to simply let those God-given gifts that he's given you, whatever they are, service, encouragement, math, organization, whatever, carpentry, whatever it is, use the God-given gifts that he has given you for his glory. Be part of the body of Christ. And so we need to act and go to God with our languishing souls. Your soul may be languishing this morning. Try. Apathetic. We are to go to God with all that. Your look to God who is with us. And so may we press onward and be restored by God, for God, unto his glory, unto his mission in making disciples, in worship, in being revived, being restored, revitalized for the sake of his kingdom, and his, this king, and for his glory. We want revival. Well, here it is. So may it be said of us this morning, they heard and obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. May that be you. May that be us. May that be our prayer. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We thank you for this cool balm for our souls. That even as your word comes so powerfully, and it comes so convictingly, you tell us these words like this. I am with you. And you are with us. And so we come this morning thankful for your presence with us, even now that you know each of our hearts, you know each of our minds, you know all about us, you know what we're feeling, what we're thinking, what's going on in our lives, you know all of it. And you're calling us to do as they did here. We're leaders here means we need to be among the first to respond. We need to be among the first to repent and fall on our faces. Oh Lord, help us. And all of us need to take up the word of God and humble ourselves before you. Taking you up and doing it. 
And so we praise your hand, and that may mean this morning coming forward and putting their faith in Christ or there in their seats, putting their faith in Christ. Maybe you're here, they're here and they don't know Christ this morning. Pray for them now that you'd open their hearts to see and their eyes to see that Jesus is the Savior, the only one who can save sinners. If that means talking to me afterwards or talking to someone they know, may they do that. Maybe it's being baptized. They haven't obeyed the Lord and believers' baptism. May they do that. Or becoming a member at Haven. May they do that. So, Father, we just lift up all of ourselves to you and pray your hand. You be with us as we respond and sing. Indeed, may we take our life and let it be consecrated unto thee. In Jesus' name, amen.